Welcome to the Sports on Point podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Smith, joined on the line, as always, by the phenom, Mr. Bob Williams. Did you see my tweet about Bin Laden? Oh, wait, that's right. I don't matter. <laughs> and of course, the guy pressing the buttons, also on the line, Mr. Pod Severance. <laughs> I have no idea what that even was. All right, so we're going a little old school with the podcast this week, uh, going back to an all-in-one format. So we'll be bringing you the sports headlines for the week as well as our ongoing to-the-point conversation. So uh, without any further ado, Pod, why don't you get us kicked off? The Sports on Point Weekly Rewind, a week in review with Matt Smith and Bob Williams. Let's back it up. Starting off with Thursday, 2011 NFL Draft, Commissioner Roger Goodell booed. What do you think, gentlemen? Yeah, the fans were uh, definitely loud and in unison in their booing of Roger Goodell at the draft, uh, even before the proceedings got started. Um, I I thought it was a little bit interesting because Goodell liked to uh, attempted to appease the fans by saying, I agree, I want to see football too. But what Goodell doesn't seem to understand is that all the fans that were there booing him see him as the reason that we're not taught, we're not we're running the risk of not seeing any football next year and and uh he's trying to make himself out to be as much the victim in the situation as anybody else and uh i think that we're all a little less naive than he's giving us uh credit for yeah definitely trying to play the victim card and and at this point you even hear some of the uh owners themselves trying to play the victim card and unfortunately for them it's it's not about that it's about them trying to sort of screw over their players uh so in this case as a fan if i was there and and we know that new york sports fans are are definitely passionate i would have been booing right along with them on friday the nfl lockout deemed back on as owners win ruling from appeals court bob hey didn't i say we were too soon to speculate last week that this is going to be uh anything (laughs) other than what it was just a temporary thing uh again i'll I'll say it again this 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 might be another temporary injunction uh, to where another uh, judge or these these judges at the appellate court uh change their minds and say that it's over again so we're we're in it for the long haul yeah well let's let's kind of let's kind of recap a little bit on uh, april 25th there was the ruling from judge nelson that uh granted the players the injunction and, and essentially ended the lockout then uh, a couple of nights later judge nelson denied the nfl's motion for a stay in this case um and then the eighth eighth circuit court of appeals i believe um they, they issued a temporary stay basically meaning they're re-engaging the lockout and this is all pending a trial in the eighth circuit which is going to be starting on june 3rd so uh for all intents and purposes it looks like we might be in lockout mode until at least the beginning of june if not uh if not significantly later than that so um yeah well, buckle in we gotta ride on saturday miami heats lebron james dismisses notion of quitting versus the Boston Celtics. Matt. 
Well, of course he dismisses the notions. I mean, if 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 he were to come out and admit that he did quit in that series, how would it look? I mean, the fact that he has said that he didn't quit in that game really doesn't change anybody's opinion about the situation at all. And if it did change your opinion, then you're probably too much of a fanboy to have an opinion that counts. Yeah, definitely there. You'd be right there standing along with Godell, trumping the victim card. <laughs> Honestly, I was there. Uh, I saw his Game 5 performance, and he played like a completely different player than he played the previous seven years. So at that point, you know, they talked about an injury, but the entire offseason was never brought up again. So I don't know what else to call it. So he can keep denying it all he wants. Most of the informed fans know that he really did. On Sunday, Chicago Bulls Tom Thibodeau wins NBA Coach of the Year award. Bob? Yeah, I honestly can't think of another coach. Well, I guess you could throw some more coaches out there that deserve it, but definitely uh, Thibodeau is is the best of the bunch, considering this team was at best looking at maybe a, a four, maybe a three seed, and they end up with the top seed in the entire Eastern Conference and we do know about their injury history at the beginning of the season without Noah and Boozer for an extended period of time so yeah I think uh, I think when you look at what he's done with his team winning 62 games in his first year as a head coach in the you know in, in the NBA it's it's definitely impressive I mean the only other coach who's ever done that was Paul Westfall uh, back in the early 90s with the Suns team that was pretty stacked so um, definitely definitely some elite company there uh, Bill Russell of course also as a first year head coach led the Celtics to a 60 win team so good company to be in although uh, Westfall did not win a championship that year he came pretty close and uh, as we all know, Bill Russell did win a championship that year. So um, things are things are looking good for Mr. Thibodeau and the the Bulls in general. I think they've made a good coaching hire, and I know I as a uh, as a as a uh, biased opinion during this whole coaching search process in Cleveland was a little bit jealous that uh, the, that the Cavs weren't able to land Thibodeau. On Monday, Chicago Bulls guard Derrick Rose is the NBA's MVP. Matt. Yeah, well, this was a this was a foregone conclusion weeks ago. Um, the Van Gundy boys were were blowing their trumpets, saying that it was uh, unfair to award it early. Whatever. Uh, I, I think when you looked at the bulk of the season, you looked at the way that the season played out. Um, Thibodeau, obvious choice for coach of the year because of what he did with that team, taking him from a potential four seed to the number one overall seed. Well, you know, he, he was patrolling the sidelines and doing what he did on the sidelines. But there's no question about the fact that if Derrick Rose hadn't played up to the level that he was playing at, they wouldn't have finished anywhere near that love or that uh, that record, um, and wouldn't have the great shot that they have at the playoffs this year. Um, so obviously, you know, it's it's a no-brainer to me. Derrick Rose is your MVP. Yeah, simple as that. It was a no-brainer. We talked about it before, uh, like you said, foregone conclusion. And I don't think it could have gone to a, to a better person this year. Just just the fact that. Like I mentioned earlier, the injuries that they had at the beginning of the season. But yeah, de- definitely uh, a, a guy who, who propelled himself self into that MVP. On Tuesday, Richard Mendenhall Twitter comments spark controversy. Set us up, Bob. What went down? Um, pretty much Richard Mendenhall on the lovely forum known as Twitter uh, made a comment, or actually this Twitter po- this tweet 
What kind of person celebrates death? It's an amazing how people can hate a man they've never heard of, heard speak. We only heard one side. Okay, I I really can't say anything there. You know, is is as human beings, we don't like to cel- who celebrates death. I get that. Not really a controversial thing there, I guess. I, I don't know. I don't I don't see a big deal of it. Uh, the one I see the the bigger deal is a response to an Illinois basketball player um, where. Mendenhall implied a 9-11 conspiracy. I just have a hard time believing a plane could take a skyscraper down demolition style. I think that one would probably hit a little bit harder. Yeah, we have conspirators and nut jobs out there and even regular Americans who don't totally believe what happened even that day. So I think this is just a someone running into Twitter who shouldn't be using Twitter in the public eye and they're they're getting totally blown out of proportion sure but i i think the thing that uh, that kind of sparked my fire a little bit with the comments that he made wasn't necessarily about the celebrating because i, I kind of agree i think that celebrating uh someone's death is um stooping to the level so to speak but at the same time if i if i had friends and family involved with that accident or with that with that incident on September 11th, I don't know that I would have reacted any differently, and maybe um, even feel some sort of justice. I don't know. Yeah, the, I, I, the thing that I think really kind of caught me off guard about the comments was the was the statement that you only know one side. Well, I'm just I'm just I don't know. I, I have a hard time believing that there's another side of the story that justifies that many deaths. Well, I think they told us the other side of the story, which is they hate American devils. Fair enough. And rounding the week off on Wednesday, Tony Romo, being our source, says Des Bryan joins day two of Dallas Cowboys workouts. Yeah, so uh, I guess the Cowboys threw together a little bit of a workout training session um, when the when the lockout was lifted, and, and Des Bryant showed up. Uh, for day number two, but uh, ultimately it doesn't really mean too much unless this unless this workout is being privately funded by the players and uh, participated in by no members of the NFL union, then um, it's not going to go on, and it can't go on. So not really a big story here. Yeah, if anything, the big, bigger story might be is if there are <laughs> agents from Dallas uh, whether it be coaches or personnel there tr- helping out the players who, who technically shouldn't be interacting with uh, any Dallas Cowboy member. So I, I, I guess something to possibly watch on. I don't know. And that's been a, this week in sports. If you have any um, comments or questions about the week, we don't care. All right. <laughs> Okay, so it's been kind of a big week in some playoff action, both the NBA and the NHL playoffs now in full swing. Um, We talked a little bit about the NBA playoffs last week, and, um, you know, I think think we kind of came out of the first round with some strong opinions about who was going to go and and move on and what series were going to be great. And so far, I uh, I think the second round has been nothing but surprising, but not in a bad way. Uh, the the Grizzlies are are looking pretty tough in the West out against the Thunder, stealing game number one, um, and you know obviously dropping game number two, but not in any convincing fashion. I don't think this is a team that's going away anytime soon. The Mavericks, of course, stunning the world with 
two back-to-back wins in L.A. against the Lakers. And the Hawks again pulling off a stunner in Game 1 against the Chicago Bulls. Of all the series that are going on right now, the one that we thought was going to be the best, uh, the Heat versus Celtics hasn't really panned out to be that great so far. I mean, what do you make of the what do you make the way that the second round's playing out so far, Bob? Well, you, you, you can't go wrong with the uh, three series you you initially started out with. Um, you do have Memphis, who surprised San Antonio, which makes it almost a a little harder of a surprise, uh, the fact that they are going toe-to-toe with a younger Oklahoma City team, a team that hasn't really gone too far into the playoffs themselves. So this is another good matchup for Memphis. Uh, they'll be relying heavily on <coughs> Zebo and Marcus Gasol to, to, to take them further within the uh, playoffs and within this series. Uh, you do have Atlanta, who's played really well, who played phenomenally against Orlando taking one in Chicago uh, hopefully for them Joe Johnson continues to play that he he did in game one and, and really gives them a chance to take the series and then for Dallas yeah it's a good start but this is the same organization that's run into problems while having the lead so I, I don't know if it's too early to, to, to look into the fact that okay, they could possibly lose the next two, which they could because the Lakers are definitely the defending champs, so it could happen. But if they take one of them there, I, I'm going to have a hard time you know, go, saying that the Lakers are going to come back and, and be able to pull it off. Uh, and, and then if you look at the, the Miami-Boston series, unfortunately for Boston, uh, I know the first game, they, they ran into some foul trouble. I know Rajon Rondo was gone with three fouls in the first half, and then with seven minutes left to play in the game, you did get the uh, double technical that kicked Paul Pierce out of the game, which is <laughs> it, kind of tough. I, I, I didn't technically see the play, but I, I know there are going to be some uh, issues there. So hopefully when they uh, are, are playing at the Garden, the, the refs kind of let them go, you know, and see how it goes from there. I can easily see this being tied up two two going back to Miami. Yeah, and and I don't uh, I don't think I would be surprised by that either. Uh, I will say that um, throughout the first two games, uh, Miami has definitely looked like the fresher of the two teams. But uh, that, that hasn't stopped the Celtics in the past, and we'd be remiss to assume that it's going to stop them here. But um, a- a- admittedly, uh, I've been personally a little bit disappointed with the first two matchups, but again, we haven't seen a ha- healthy Shaq on the field. Uh, Rondo has been limited in his minutes because of foul trouble and some other issues. So, uh, we, we, we still have a lot to see in that series. I just hope that, um, I just hope that, uh, the, the Celtics are keeping the right frame of mind going back home down Oh two. And, uh, if so, we should have a good series yet. Uh, now, I do want to talk a little bit more about this Lakers and Mavericks series because we're talking about an 0-2 deficit. And, and yeah, this is a Mavericks team that a couple of years ago uh, you know, had a pretty good, strong advantage against the Miami Heat team that was uh, – that was uh, – Looked like it was in the bag before they essentially, you know, took the foot off the gas and and allowed the uh, allowed the Heat to come back in dominant fashion and win uh, win that series convincingly. Uh, I, I I don't think that uh, I don't think you can look at this Mavericks team and say that this is a team that has that killer instinct, but at the same time, 
they're playing against an established veteran team that has made it to the NBA Finals four years in a row. Uh, we we watched the Lakers in the regular season. We saw some of the struggles they had. We know the talent that this team has, and everybody just assumes that this is a team that's waiting to turn it on when it matters. Kind of like the same, you know, kind of like the same assumption we make about the Boston Celtics, just because they have a history of doing that. But I think that that's a much harder thing to do than people realize, and uh, especially when you're when you're playing with the when you're playing with a conference, you're playing within a conference like the Western Conference, where top to bottom there's just absolutely so much talent. I think that the, the Los Angeles Lakers are, are ripe for being picked off, and uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see the Mavericks come out of this. Uh, I mean, especially when you looked at that will-breaking performance they had in game number one, down 16 points with uh, just over two minutes left in the third quarter to come back and pull that game off with uh, with uh, some some key plays at the end of the game. It's just that's the kind of thing that if you're not a strong-willed and strong-minded team that can break you down. And I don't know how much this Lakers team has faced adversity. I don't know if they have that strong will of mind. Yeah, it's definitely something that's going to come into question. And I, I think if they are going to take out uh, the Mavericks, they're, they're, they're going to have a tough uphill battle in Game 3, especially without Ron Artest. Sure, they do have Matt Barnes who can who can fill in, but he's ser- definitely not the uh, perimeter defender that Ron Artest is. Oh, and, so. and very few very few are. Very few are. So that's, yeah. a, that's, a, hard, that's a hard thing to live up to. Um I thought it was kind of interesting after that game one loss. Uh, if you looked at the last uh, what twenty seven or so shots that the Lakers took, I believe uh, well over sixty percent of them were taken by Kobe Bryant, and his shooting percentage wasn't all that great. The offense wasn't running in flow, and I have a feeling that when this team hits a hits adversity, that that's the that's the kind of pattern that they resort to, where they just kind of defer to Kobe and let him run the offense, and I think that's worked for him enough times that they're comfortable doing it, but. He's not a guaranteed win when he takes over the game anymore, and he hasn't really been for two or three seasons now. Um, so if, if they're going to have to rely on Kobe to take over and win games single-handedly in this Western Conference, I just don't think it's going to happen. So uh, it's kind of one of those things where they lived by Kobe Bryant for so long that uh, if, if things don't turn around, they could end up dying by Kobe Bryant as well. Now, in the, uh, in the other playoff situation we got going on right now, the NHL is, of course— on into their second round of the playoffs. Uh, what started off as a really, really promising NHL playoffs, and, and you know, let's not forget that last year the playoffs were absolutely incredible in the NHL. We had you know teams coming back from 3-0 deficits to win the series. You know, just a lot of real intriguing stories. And you know, we started off this NHL playoffs in similar fashion. We had a uh, Philly Sabre series that went to seven games. Bruins uh, uh, Canadian series that went to seven games. Uh, Penguins versus the Lightning went seven games. There was a Vancouver Chicago series that Vancouver had a 3-0 lead came back to play in game seven and ended up winning just a lot of real high drama stuff going on in the first round and now we move on to the second round and we've only got one series that's been competitive at all and at this point in time it's a it's a it's a two and oh series so it's not even uh it's not even all that competitive conference semifinals we've got got a, a, a 4-0 sweep, two series that are 3-0, and another one that's 2-1. So uh, 
Is there any way that we could explain the discrepancy between this incredibly, incredibly competitive first round and the second round where it just kind of seems like these teams are falling apart? I'm assuming uh, <laughs> either uh, two things that you could probably uh, put this on is that uh, some of these teams could possibly, one, be gassed because they played seven game series and the other teams did not. And then the other thing is just the possibly uh, just a really, really bad matchup. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know for sure what's going to be the, the, the excuse for some of these uh, these teams, but that, that, that's where you have to start, definitely. Um, sure. You know, you did say that some of these teams, even uh, early in the season and definitely last year, were 0-3 holes, so this kind of puts us into the position that they shouldn't just concede that, hey, this is going to be over. Yet, if you look at some of the games, you have uh, the Bruins-Flyers series, you have Bruins 7-3, to and five to one, so those two games weren't even close. Uh, and then you have a three to two game in overtime. So it, it looks like if the Bruins can keep it, cl- or if the Flyers can keep it close, they they have a shot at least to take a game, maybe two. I you know at that point I don't know, uh, but you y- you can't just you know say that it's not going to happen uh, the other series you have San Jose and the uh, Red Wings and all three of those games have been close so you know it's just a matter of one goal on each of them and two of them have been overtime games so it, it, I would say those are exciting games unfortunately <laughs> for, for that series it hasn't gone the right way for, for the uh, usually dominant Red Wings you know, I've heard long debates in in you know sports shows and, and commentary over the years about how competitive series are either a great for a team because it builds their team chemistry, it builds the unity, and it gets them used to playing in stressful situations, and it and it just makes them a tougher out later on in the playoffs. And I've heard th- heard it the other way that you know having those easy series to breathe through keeps the legs fresh. And, and, and I think that there's a certain degree of both of those elements that are playing their hand here. And I, I don't think it's necessarily there's a right answer or a wrong answer to what the effects of a long series are on a team and the athletes. I think it depends on the individuals and the teams because I think that that's exactly what we're seeing here is we're seeing the discrepancy between the players who are are, are galvanizing under the heat and the ones that are melting under the heat. And uh, I think that's what we're seeing. Now, the interesting thing is um, I, I'm really intrigued by this Boston versus Philly series because let's not forget conference semifinals last year, Boston versus Philly. Boston was up three to three to none, which is the same scenario we see right now. Philly came back and won four in a row. So uh, it'd be it'd be uh, a little bit of a nightmare on ice for the fans out in Boston if we start to see uh, game number four go to Philly and maybe game number five. I think you see some panic set in out there. Yeah, <laughs> that is a scary situation. But that's the fun thing about sports is one year can definitely change a different. Uh, it, it works out for them, but uh, you know, and this this uh, these conference uh, semifinals might might lead to uh, you know sure they breeze through this, but it might leave some of these teams you know a little bit fresher and, and might create interesting actual conference final games. So you know, it, it just could be one bad luck. You know, the semifinals. Okay, we'll, we'll just move on to the finals and 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 have better matchups or, or better games, better series.
All right, now a little bit. Uh, we're going to go a little bit off the beaten ta- beaten path with our next topic because uh, it's it's been kind of a big story this week. Uh, everyone is everyone's heard about it. We've talked a little bit about it already as well about uh, Richard Mendenhall's Twitter comments about uh, the Osama bin Laden uh, assassination, and um, there's there's been some other players who have who have kind of kicked in their opinions, um, namely. Uh, uh, Jacob Pullen, Jacob Pullen, yeah, namely Jacob Pullen, uh, the the NBA prospect coming out of Kansas State, who um, made some comments on Twitter that he's he's a little bit afraid now because people are celebrating this death and Osama's got family and I've got planes to catch, so um, a little bit concerned about safety there. Uh, Chris Douglas Roberts made some similar comments on Twitter about uh, you know how it's a how it's a little bit. I don't know, hypocritical for us to be kind of dancing in the street celebrating the the killing of Osama bin Laden. And um, I guess the the thing that it's bringing up, and I don't want to necessarily touch directly on those issues because we talked about Mendenhall a little bit earlier in the show, but uh, what I want to kind of ask your opinion on, Bob, is, you know, we've got unprecedented access to the opinions and feelings of athletes and celebrities through this little medium we call Twitter. And and we have we have a uh, un, unprecedented access to the differing opinions of these players, and it, it's kind of an unfiltered, raw nature with Twitter. And and I'm I'm just kind of curious, what do you think, Bob, about uh, players and fans' interactions on Twitter? Is is this something that you know players should have every right to say what they want to say? Do teams have the right to? Um, uh, I don't want to say punish, but to, to in, in impose stricter rules with social media in order to kind of protect their brand and their face of their franchises. Uh, what kind of impact do you think that these types of comments from players have on the sport in general and, and on teams? And, and should they be, I don't know, should they be allowed to run so free in, in such a public forum? Well, I, I think the biggest thing here is that the access is, is a cool thing, but, you know, there also is a, ne- a negative to that. And that's all these comments where we're seeing that these athletes truly are human. You know, yeah, <laughs> some of us disagree with even coworkers, family members and how how we believe or or, or what we say. So, you know, it, it's not that big of a deal that, that we can possibly, you know, disagree with a comment on an athlete. So I, I don't think that's that's a bad deal, you know, a, a bad thing uh, for them. They need to realize that th- it is this social experiment, social media, social outlet. And then they, they sort of have to remember to to just like right in front of a camera or in front of the news reporters, you have to watch what you say. And it, it, it's running into that gauntlet where where people are, are are blowing up about you know I honestly don't care that that's what Rashad Mendenhall said you know Jacob Pullen CDR okay I understand that uh, but ever since nine eleven there's always been that you know sense of heightened okay what could happen next I, I understand that this is just a a, a corresponding event almost in the fact that it's big and and there might be some retaliatory effect okay that's fine um on the second point with the organizations 
being able to kind of distance themselves and, and punish them, yeah, I think they have a right. Like with any other job, if you do say these these comments that might get you in trouble, I, I think that the organizations have the right to punish them just like any other company or organization. You know, all three of us are employed. If we say something about, you know, something out there that that's, okay, I think Martians are, you know, playing football right now. Okay, that's that's kind of weird and awkward. But if it was if someone took that the wrong way, I could possibly you know get taken and suspended or you know docked without pay for a little while. So I, I don't see why that the the organization shouldn't be able to do that. They should, you know, it it is their image. It's it's for the greater good of not only them but the the sport. These people can have these opinions. Most of the time, it's little things here and there. Uh, the fan interaction is cool, but you do have to watch what you say. Absolutely. Go ahead, Bob. Oh, I was just um, I was just going to chime in with my thoughts a little bit. I I agree with uh, exactly what both of you guys were saying, Matt. Especially um, the organization; it's a brand. I mean, I think there's probably no better example of a brand than the New York Yankees. Love them or hate them. The New York Yankees, to wear those pinstripes, there are some things that you are going to do. You're going to shave your facial hair. You're going to conduct yourself in a certain way when you're out in public. And you're not going to tell me that, you know, when Steinbrenner was around, that he didn't have these types of conversations with these guys saying, look, you know, I understand that social media and stuff like that's out there, the Twitter and stuff like that. But you're not going to say something on there that's controversial because you are an ambassador of our brand. And I think that the organizations have every right to do that. I also am one that says, hey, everybody's got their free right to speech and opinion. But at the same time, when you're signing that contract and you become an ambassador of the organization, your personal life, and in, in athletes more in celebrity more so than anybody else, your personal life now becomes an extension of your your work life, you know, you as a person are somebody who's, again, like I said before, an ambassador of the organization. So, you know, I, I think the, the thing is, I don't, on the other hand, I also think that people in general need to stop placing, I think that people should look at these athletes and how they talk on Twitter and the stupid things that they say, just like their, their friend, and they need to really switch their thinking around and think, like you were mentioning, Bob, these people are human. They're going to say stupid things. I say stupid things and wish I could take them away, you know, after I post a dumb post or something like that on the Internet. But it's there. It's in some format. It's copied over. It's saved. It's indexed by Google. So you really need to exercise some form of um, being able to kind of really think about what you say and make sure that that's what you want to say and think about repercussions, whether or not you believe it or whether or not you're trying to make a political statement or not, you need to really think about what type of personal and professional ramifications might this say, what might this have if I say it. And free speech doesn't say you have the freedom to say whatever you want. It, it, it says that, yes, you do have that freedom, but we still have to have uh, a little bit of discretion in, in what we're talking about. But I was going to say also that the people just need to say these people are, are human and they're not something special. And just because 
Richard Mendenhall or Jacob Pullen. Who cares what these guys think about their political? You think what you think, they think what they think, and just because they're a professional athlete or a celebrity doesn't make their opinion have any more weight than yours. Yeah. And and you know, I think it comes I think it comes back to um I think it comes back to one thing that I've noticed a lot in the Twitter world is that is that everyone kind of expects certain things from certain people and when it comes to social media and uh you know I I've seen I've seen yeah, sports analysts on Twitter get absolutely abused by people because they you know had the gall to talk about something in a couple of tweets that had nothing to do with the sport that they cover and 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 stuff like that I think I think that uh, I think that the fanaticism of people on Twitter is a big part of the problem where they expect the people that uh, that they're used to seeing on the TV to to just talk about what they're seeing them doing on the television set and, and forgetting the fact that they have a real lives. so I think I think with the unparalleled access that we have to athletes comes the responsibility as fans to understand that with increased access you get to see things that don't necessarily have to do anything with what you're used to seeing. I absolutely do believe that the organizations have the right to punish and and strict and restrict uh, access to social media uh, for for people that represent their brand. I think it's I think that's a, a, a known quantity. If I go into a bar wearing my company logo and get hammered and make a scene of things, and the wrong person walks in, I can lose my job too. So uh, it's it's all about how you represent your brand. And in this particular case, the Steelers had to come out and make a public statement. Uh, Basically, renouncing Richard Mendenhall's statements, saying that uh, they were misinterpreted, that they uh, that he is not pro Bin Laden and all this other stuff, and you know, just any time that an organization has to get into that level of PR coverage for one of their players, then I think that they have to be able to exact some control over the situation. Well, gentlemen, I believe that's just going about going to do it. Bob, you want to uh, wrap us up for this week? I will cue the outro, my friend. This has been Sports on Point. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please send your suggestions on how we can improve the show and your comments to feedback at sportsonpoint.com. You can also call the show at 646-39-POINT. That's 646-397-6468. Don't forget, everybody, this coming weekend, the Kentucky Derby will make you care about horse racing for about two minutes. So uh, make sure you enjoy those two minutes as much as possible. See, Biscuit. It's all about the hype, baby. Come on, come on. <laughs>